today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. My walking in that total and continual time of repentance, I don't know about you. I repented and received Christ back years ago, but daily I have to go through repentance. Maybe you're not so bad yourself, but daily I need to. We need to have that attitude. We need to have that heart that says, man, I, I can't count just on, man, I, oh, I received Christ back when I was in high school. Man, I got it covered. I got my railroad ticket to heaven. I'm good. I'm, I'm in. No problem there. No, we need to continually be repenting not in order to be saved, beloved, but because we truly are saved. If anything is needed, it's repentance. No matter how good or bad our lives may seem, we should continually repent from what we know is sin. In our time with Pastor David, we are reminded of the value of a heart attitude of repentance. Not because we need to be saved, but because we are saved. All believers are delivered from the penalty of sin, but need to remember that thoughts and attitudes are under construction. We ought to live in such a way that shows gratitude for the remission of our sin. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Unless You Repent. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, some people might say, well, that's a negative confession. Don't say that you're walking through a a shadow of death. Beloved, that's reality and that's truth. Even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Because I know that you're with me. Because I know that you're with me. Even in the worst of situations in my life, even in the most terrible, horrendous tragedy that might come in my life, Lord, I know that you're still there and that you are still God. And I hold on to that. We speak the phrase, God is good all the time and all the time. What part about that do we sometimes not understand? The all the time part, the all the time part. As we look to the eternal, we need to be certain. There's nothing that hinders the blessings of God and the fellowship of God in our lives. Because, beloved, in the midst of the tragedy that every one of us go through at different times and some greater and longer seasons than others, in the midst of that, you need something much stronger than the temporary things of this world. You need something much stronger in your life than your own ability to be able to stand to these things. You need to look to that one who is eternal. And again, knowing and understanding that your relationship with him is right. Yes, let's, let's take a look at this idea of the suffering of the innocent real quick. And again, we know that none are innocent, but it's all too often, it's way too easy for us to, to play God. And a lot of times we, we declare those things, it's not fair, okay? It's a word that often comes, it's not fair what happened 
to them. Or maybe we flip on the other side and say, well, no wonder that happened to you. You see, we, we become like Job's friends and we begin trying to figure out what's going on and we try to find answers. And beloved, sometimes there's situations that we try to put ourselves in that's way above our pay grade. Uh, these are the things of God. These are the mysteries of God that we just surrender our lives to him and say, Lord, I don't understand these things, but I know that you're good God and you're good all the time. We think through these things and we say, wow, he's suffering greatly. He must be a really great sinner. Or on the other side, we say, wow, she got a pay raise. God must really be really blessed with her. But you understand, though, sometimes that financial stability and financial increase can be more of a curse than a blessing, right? That was weak. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a lot of us that say, uh, like Tevi from uh, Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Lord, if, uh, if finances or if money is, is a curse, would you mind cursing me just a little bit? You know? <laughs> but the fact is that sometimes financial blessings can get us off track of, of trusting God. Have you heard about all the suffering she's going through? God must really need to get her attention. You know, these are things that people say when they hear of events going on. About the fact that maybe God has her attention and it's just a way of peeling away all these other things. They must be living right. Everything seems to work out good for them. But that's temporary. That's 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. Here, eternity waits before them. So what if they have physical blessings here? Where do they stand for eternity? And if they're going through sufferings here, it's not the physical sufferings that are so important. The most important thing is what is their relationship with Christ? We need to stop for a moment. We need to remember. Remember God's testimony about Job? You guys know the story of Job. It was God himself that declared, hey, there's none like Job. None like him on the earth. Man, he is a blameless and an upright dude. Okay, he said man, but... He's blameless and he's upright. One who fears God and shuns evil. So most of the theology that most of Christianity holds today, if he's upright, if he's righteous, if he's blameless, if he fears God and he shuns evil, then everything ought to go smooth for him, right? Everything ought to be wonderful. That's not what happened, is it? You know the story of Job. You know all the events that came into his life. But it's not just about Job. Think about the early life of Joseph. You know, Joseph, here's this guy, man. He's, he's beaten up by his brothers. He's left for dead, and then he's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of rape, and then he's thrown into a prison cell. Dude, you are like, man, God must really be mad at you. Look what's going on in your life. How many Christians would dare go visit him in prison? <laughs> accused of rape, and oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going there. What about the prophets of old? Those that suffered so greatly. Why? Because they were doing the right thing. You see, when they were doing the right thing, that's when the persecution of the world came upon them. That's when Jeremiah was thrown in jail because he continued to preach the right thing. The apostles, the first century Christians, they suffered tremendously in this world. And even today, Christians all around the world are suffering greatly. And are you telling me that's because they have some hidden sin? They need to get their life right before God? Beloved, I dare say that some in these 
undeveloped countries and some in these oppressive countries, their walk and their faith in Christ would put ours to shame because they don't have anything else, kind of like what Alan said. They don't have the medical card. They don't have the insurance card. They don't have anything else that they can trust in. They have to trust. They have to be fully convinced that God is there. And in the depth of their sorrow and in the depth of the tragedy, I know my God still reigns. Even for us, our brothers and sisters today, here in this fellowship, just this week, I've personally heard from some in our fellowship who've recently received terminal diagnoses, stage four kidney failure, stomach cancer on another one, one that I visited Friday up in the valley, bone cancer all throughout his body. And yet the testimony of each one of those is their love for Christ and their desire to honor him on their way out, on their way out. So let me ask you, how does that fit into your nice and tidy theological mindset? If you do good, God will do good to you. If you do bad, hey, you're going to be punished. doesn't quite work that way in the truth. And I don't believe the Bible truly speaks that in the whole context of the word. I believe that too many fall into the trap of that false teaching that declare that God wants all of us to be healthy and wealthy. And I, I guarantee you, I can go through and I can find some verses that speak that. But I also guarantee you that in the overall scheme and plan of God, God's desire is that you be spiritually healthy and wealthy in his kingdom, more so than any other thing. Because you see, everything here, it's, you're going to lose it. It's going to be gone. It's all going to burn with its using. But eternity lasts forever, folks. That's why they call it eternity. Now, here's where I'm going to start stepping on some toes. Some of you listen to that garbage that claims you ought to have your best life now. Beloved, your best life is yet to come. That's an eternal one. If you can't give me chapter and verse from the Bible that speaks that, can you tell me how that fits in the overall scope of God's Word? Can you tell me how that fits in the experience of saints all through the ages? Not just where Christianity was open and legal, but also where Christianity is illegal, and you could either lose your life or your freedom. How does that work in developing countries where their best day is to have enough water for that day? They haven't had food for days, but man, it's a good day today. We got water. If you can't show me within the Word of God, and if you can't show me how that works within the lives of saints all through the ages, then you need to stop being a fool, and you need to stop listening to a fool. All too often, when, even if we don't outwardly proclaim it, we fall into that trap of the name-it-claim-it camp and with their thoughts. Oh, if they only had enough faith. Don't you realize that most folks that are going through tragedy, faith is the only thing that's holding them together. It's the only thing that's enabling them to keep going on because they do have faith. Oh, that's just the payment of a sinful life. Really? Let me ask you, whatever happened to Jesus paid it all. See, he paid for our sin. Now, I'm not saying there's not sometimes consequences to our sin. If I inject poison into my veins, you know, day after day, week after week, year after year, yeah, I'm going to have some consequences to that. My physical body is just going to be totally destroyed. 
I understand that. But my sin is forgiven if I've come to Christ, if I've repented and I've come to Christ. It's not that God is saying, well, because you disobeyed me all these years, whack, take that again. And you see that brother that's up there with bone cancer right now in the hospital in Mesa. He smoked most of his life. And as we were sharing, he says, well, I guess maybe, you know, this is just God's way of dealing with the fact that I smoked all those years. And I said, whoa, stop right there. Don't even go there. Because God is your strength right now. He's not dealing out punishment to you right now. Are there consequences of, of the abuse? Yeah. But don't tell me that God, who you say you trust and who you say you love, who you say your sin is forgiven, is now coming back, and though your sin is forgiven, he's still pounding you with it. Our God is not like that, because remember, God is good and all the time. Have you ever stopped to realize the battle that goes on? The battle that goes on even within believers, individual lives, when they go through these kinds of tragedies, these kinds of sufferings, this, this impending death. Do you realize the amount of, of self-doubt that can come into those last months and those days as they wonder where they've failed and has God left them? You see, it's you and I's place to come and say, no, God hasn't left. It might be dark right now. It might be silent right now. But God is there, and he is holding your hand. Just keep looking to him. Keep seeking him in the midst of this. Even as a Christian, we, we can become completely overwhelmed with guilt for the very sin that Jesus has already forgiven us of. Why? Because the enemy continually brings that, continually brings that. Are these Galileans worse than any other Galileans? No. But you do need to repent. You do need to come to faith in Christ. We're, 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 these that that tower fell on, I mean, they're just cruising along and this tower falls on them. I, I saw a uh, deal on the internet of an event that happened in India, I think about a, a month ago. There was a bridge that they were building, a, a traffic bridge there in a major city in India. And the video showing uh, cars going by, people walking, motorcycles uh, going by. And suddenly this bridge falls. And it, you see it, it falls right on these people that are driving by and walking by. Killed a multitude of people. Were they, were they worse sinners than anybody else in all of India? No. Beloved, we live in a world where tragedy takes place. Where again, we're not in that final place. We're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. We're in a fallen world. Why are we so quick to judge another man's life? How do we dare look at the severe and constant suffering of a sister or a brother and place ourselves above them in some sort of spiritual hierarchy? It says, wow really is sad to be you. Man, you must have done something bad. Again, the words of Job's friends. Jesus' response to those guys that were standing in judgment over the calamity of the others. He was surrounded by this group that, again, would fit right in with Job's friends. And his response was the same for both of these situations. He says, I tell you, no, it had nothing to do with their sin, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. 
Jesus' point was is that being killed or not being killed, going through personal tragedy or pain or suffering is no measure of a person's unrighteousness or of their righteousness. Anyone can have tragedy strike them. Death is that common denominator for every one of us. Righteous or sinner, saved or lost, male or female, young or old, king or pauper. But it's actually, it's only through God's grace that allows us to live allows us to be able to get through these things. But the question comes back for each one of us. Have you ever in your life really came to that point of truly repenting and truly coming to Christ who paid for your sin and committing your life to him? It's not trying to be good because you're not going to be good enough. It's not trying to do the right thing, turn over a a, a new leaf. Like I've told you in the past, there's not enough leaves for you to turn over. Okay? The focus we need to have is not on the judgment or the sufferings, but on that inward focus, literally, of our own sin and failures. And have I come to a point of repentance? Am I walking in that total and continual time of repentance? I don't know about you, but I repented and received Christ back years ago, but daily I have to go through repentance. Maybe you're not so bad yourself, but daily I need to. We need to have that attitude. We need to have that heart that says, man, I, I can't count just on, man, I, oh, I received Christ back when I was in high school. Man, I got it covered. I got my railroad ticket to heaven. I'm good. I'm, I'm in. No problem there. No, we need to continually be repenting, not in order to be saved, beloved, but because we truly are saved, because we truly are. Jesus knew the hearts of those that were asking the question. You can see that from the way that he answered them. He knew that they were far from repentance because you can tell that by what he spoke to them. And he understood that they needed to see their own condition long before they became the judge of any other human being. They were all too willing to look at others without first looking inward. After this real short passage here and a little parable that he gives, I want to look at that real quick. In closing, we don't see any more dialogue about these two situations here. Jesus moves right into this parable beginning in verse 6, and it seems like it's totally separate from these things, but I think if we take a second look, we understand it's not. Verse 6, we read, Jesus also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Fig tree had long time been a symbol for the nation of Israel. Here Jesus makes a statement, yeah, he talks about three years, whether he's referring to uh, the fact that his ministry had been about three years at that point in time or not, uh, we can see that within the context of it, that again, here, God comes one more time, revealing himself, demonstrating himself, the very God in human flesh walking among them, speaking the word of God through signs and wonders, declaring the truth of God and the passion and the heart of God, calling for men to repent and to turn to God for these three 
years continually, continually demonstrating as a very physical way the word of God within the hearts and within the lives of the people of Israel. But they continued to reject him. They continued to not bear fruit. God called them. God blessed them. He continued to show himself to them. But they were fruitless. The Messiah came and in every way tried to reveal the truth of God, and yet they continued to reject the truth. Now, as the fig tree of the Lord, they were of no more value. Did you catch that in there? Why in the world should they even take up the space of the ground? They were due to be cut down. They were due to be tossed out. But God, that's the interesting thing that we see all through Scripture, is but God. You ought to know that those two words, but God, that ought to be the, the happiest words in all the Bible whenever you read that. Because that even speaks about our lives and the situation of our lives. Our lives and all the judgment and the things that should come on our lives. But God. But God. Israel had the opportunity after opportunity to show themselves faithful, grateful to the plans and the blessings of God, multiple opportunities to bear fruit, and yet even with the coming of Messiah, the son of the vineyard owner, they continued to rebel against the truth. It was time for them to be cut off. And the fact is that they did not repent, and so we know that 40 years from this event that's happening right here in the 13th chapter of Luke. Forty years later, Titus and three legions of the Roman army invaded Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, and destroyed the temple. Shortly thereafter, completely annihilated and wiped out the nation of Israel to never be heard from ever again but God. But God. A nation that was no longer a nation, the people that were totally destroyed and scattered throughout the world. And yet God, in his grace, his mercy, his long-suffering, gathered them from every tongue, from every tribe, from every corner of the world, brought them back together as a nation. Since 1948, the nation of Israel has been there. Have they turned back to God? No, not, not in mass. God's mercy, again, just being poured out upon them, poured out upon them. But you know, beloved, the judgment of A.D. 70 is nothing like the judgment that they'll stand before in that day, in that day. And just like for every one of us. Will the judgment of God come in our lives in different ways even now? Sure, he will. Uh, a loving father disciplines his children. We understand that. But beloved, for all mankind, there is coming that day. And unless they repent, they all will likewise perish. In your walk and in your relationship with Christ, where are you? Where are you in your position in Christ? You may be going through tragedy. You may go, be going through a lot of suffering. Beloved, that may or may not have anything to deal with your relationship with Christ. Oh, and I know that we suffer for a multiple of reasons. Number one reason is, is because we live in a fallen world. Number two reason is because the enemy wants to destroy you and distract you and distress you and depress you and to pull you away from the joy and the knowledge of your relationship with Christ. The enemy will do that every chance that he gets. There are other times, so that, yeah, God does come and bring a little chastisement on us in order to get our attention. But that's nothing that I can look at you at and say, this is what God's doing in your life. No, that's what God does. And we don't stand in judgment. 
What is your situation in Christ? Where do you stand in Him? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.